The Craft Food Classroom is a comprehensive and in-depth five-part online, go-at-your-own-pace course that will provide everything needed to build a thriving food business. Each module includes a video, presentation, workbook, and quiz. This course teaches students exactly what they need to know to succeed in the craft food industry and avoid pitfalls and costly mistakes. Learn more at thecentral.kitchen/classroom and you can use podcast21 at checkout for 10% off anytime. Again, that code is podcast21 for 10% off. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode of the Physical Product Movement Podcast, I speak with Ryan Gresh. What an awesome conversation we had about his journey building the Feel Good Lab, a leading line of pain relief products made from all natural ingredients. Ryan talks about how a dinner conversation with his dad and brother who run a functional medicine pharmacy convinced him to leave his career as an engineer in the aerospace industry to launch his brand. He talks about the advantages and disadvantages of sourcing product and ingredients from domestic suppliers instead of international. He also talks about how this has changed in the wake of COVID and the current supply chain slowdown. He talks about why you should not only negotiate on price, but also on terms and how that can impact your cash flow. But what I love most about my conversation with Ryan is that he is passionate about his customers and the problems they have. It was a fantastic interview with a lot of great advice for CPG brands. Enjoy. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, uh, how you doing? Thanks for jumping on the podcast uh, today. Yeah, Ken, great to meet you and happy to be here. It's a beautiful Friday, so looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to talking about the Feel Good Lab and, and everything that you guys have been up to. But why don't we just kick it right off? We usually like to start with a quote. Is there anything impactful or a quote that you like to live by um, that you could share with the audience? I find myself saying quotes multiple times a day. It's like one of my passions. And I actually have two of them for you. The first one I'm going to give you really summarizes what I think the entrepreneurial journey is. And actually, both of these quotes I got from Naval. I don't know if you're familiar with Naval Ravikant, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love him. I follow him. Yeah. Okay. So you might have heard these before. So the first one is, success and failure both lead to the same place, dissatisfaction. It's just the lessons learned along the way that, that differ. And what that means to me is starting a business, especially CPG, is really hard and Elon Musk even talks about this. He's like, starting a business is like eating glass and staring into the abyss. And what he means <laughs> is that your job is to deal with the hardest problems. And as you scale and grow, those problems get bigger and bigger. And that's not a bad thing. What this quote, like when I heard it framed up from Naval with such an optimistic tone when he said it was, that's what we look forward to is those challenges, is those failures, because that's when we learn our lessons. I, I, I look back on some of the successes we've had and I feel like I could tell people advice on why we made it and what they could do to follow in our footsteps. And I've since learned that that's actually usually not the case. Lightning might have 
struck and there might be some lessons in there. But I promise you when I go through some of the failures and I'm sure we'll talk about them on the podcast, when I talk about mistakes we made, that's where the true lessons lie, right? Like things I will never do again. And I just think that looking at failure as an opportunity and being optimistic around failure is just a superpower you have to have when you get into entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah that's that's absolutely great. Yeah, yeah. awesome. So you, you mentioned you might have two, right? Yeah, so the other one is a, a quote that we live our business by. The Feel Good Lab, just for a little bit of context, we make healthy pain relievers for people that are fed up with side effects and the challenges that come from really dealing with chronic pain. And this quote that Naval says, I believe it came from Confucius, is a rich person wants 10,000 things, but a sick person only wants one. Mm -hmm. And it just puts into perspective who our customer is and what they're dealing with. I'm a, such a fortunate person, mostly because it, when it comes to my health, I'm going to be 35 years old in May, healthy, not that I don't have my own problems, but relatively healthy. And when I hear that quote, and just this morning, I was on the phone with a customer and, and I put myself in their shoes and I realized that their entire world revolves around the sickness that they have. And so it's our job to really help them get out of that because we believe that feeling good is just the start. It's not the end goal of life, but it allows them to have those 10,000 things. And so that's really our mission at the company. And I probably say this quote, we have our own podcast and I know I say it every podcast that we're on and it just comes up organically because it's something that we really live by here at the Feel Good Lab. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Just for those that are interested, do you mind plugging your podcast? Where, where can you find it? What do you search for? Yeah, so it's uh, called the Feel Good Lab Podcast. It's on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all the major channels, and you can find it on our website or if you just Google it. And so we're about 10 episodes in. It's been really fun. And uh, yeah, you know what's more fun though, Ken? I think you could appreciate this being on somebody else's podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. And what kind of stuff do you guys like to cover on your podcast? We talk about health and wellness. So we really try to give people actionable advice and things that they can do, small wins they can make to improve their overall wellness. We bring in experts from my dad, who's been a pharmacist and functional medicine practitioner for 40 years, to different doctors and chiropractors and just wellness gurus that we have in our lives or that we meet. And we bring them on to just try to share some of their knowledge and, and make it actionable. A lot of times, some of the stuff you can learn about when it comes to improving your health and wellness feels out of reach. And so we try to take that and make it digestible so that they can make a change right now today that can start to improve their life. Okay, cool. All right. We definitely want to make sure to cover Feel Good Lab and the story behind uh, the company and all that. Just want to take a second and, and learn a little bit more about you. I was interested to, to hear that you were actually in the aerospace industry and you were an engineer. Is that what you studied in school? Yeah. So I, I went to the University of Connecticut and uh, studied mechanical engineering. And then in Connecticut, a lot of people probably don't know, we've got some amazing aerospace manufacturing companies. So we have Pratt & Whitney. It's one of the leading military jet engine manufacturers as well as commercial. And then their entire supply chain was really built out of their headquarters being here. So we have all sorts of different manufacturers. And then we also have Sikorsky aircraft that makes uh, helicopters. So I actually started my career at Pratt 
Then I moved to Sikorsky. And then I actually realized that I'm not a typical engineer. I had the skill set and I really love solving problems. I love being technical, but I just love people too much. I can't work like, you know, my first day at Sikorsky, I thought that I was going to be working on designing helicopters. I was a design engineer. I was literally designing a single bolt for six months. That was the kind of stuff. And I, I quickly learned that this wasn't for me. So I started my own company in the aerospace industry where I became basically a, a manufacturer's rep, where I was combining my engineering capabilities with a more business development customer aspect to it. And then I, I would represent different manufacturers that did business with Sikorsky and Pratt and & Whitney. And what I found in that kind of B2B environment, especially in, in the technical field of aerospace engineering, the engineering side was so much more important than any sort of sales skills that you would have. But at the end of the day, pricing, lead time, supply chain are very important. But when it comes to an airplane or an aircraft or a helicopter that flies, quality and engineering and the actual, you know, efficacy of the parts that you work on, it right. just trumps everything. So I really had a nice little niche there. It was great. Yeah. I did that for about a decade. That's interesting. Yeah, I could see that that lesson leading into other areas of entrepreneurship and obviously into what you do now, right? All the sales and marketing can be great, but at the end of the day, your product needs to work. And you bring up a great point, right? Pain relief. Snake oil is a real thing. And it was probably the first ever product that was starting to get shilled on people because think about a pain point. We have no more of a clear pain point in what we do than chronic pain or even acute pain. And when somebody's in pain, if that product doesn't work, it's table stakes. If you don't have a product that works, have fun trying to sell it, right? right then right. from there, it's about differentiation and all of the other things that we bring to the table. But product efficacy is about tenfold higher than any other attribute uh, that, that the business brings to the table. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I'm always interested in the transitions, right? So you're in the aerospace industry. What, how did you transition into the starting and founding the, the Feel Good Lab um, yeah. and running that? For me, it was really, it was a, a moment in time. I'll never forget it. I'm at home eating dinner with my family. So my dad is, like I had mentioned, a pharmacist and functional medicine practitioner here in Connecticut. And my brother is also a pharmacist. In fact, most of my family, my grandpa was a pharmacist. My aunts and uncles are all pharmacists. My brother, my sister is studying the health field. And I was the black sheep. And, and really, I'll tell you a quick story before I tell you the pivotal moment that changed it for me. But when I grew up, my dad owned a conventional pharmacy. And one of the challenges was that was in the 80s and 90s when CBS Walgreens were taking over. And a small local pharmacy went from a very successful business to not being able to operate because the margins got so lean that if you didn't have the type of infrastructure at a CVS and Walgreens, you couldn't compete. So he ended up having to be the only pharmacist, which is open seven days a week, early in the morning till late at night and running the business. So the only time I saw him was when I would go to work with him for this like 10 year span. Huh. And I learned a lot. Oh my goodness, did I learn so much. And I saw like what it takes to run a business. Now I didn't know that it was easier in the first few years and it got hard. I just thought it was hard from day one. But mm -hmm. when I went, when it came time for me to decide what I want to do with my life, as you can imagine, I ran. I said, I want nothing to do with this. There's so much stress. You're working as a pharmacist all day and then you have to run the business and all the different things that come with that. So I want nothing to do with that. Shortly after I graduated high school, my dad didn't want much more to do with it either. And he also found that he wasn't really helping people. The current medical model is the greatest in the world, specifically in the United States. 
Really though, when it comes to acute care, so if you have a condition, you can get a pharmaceutical and you can get something that can help you with that acute problem. But when your problem is chronic, which means it doesn't go away for more than six months, oftentimes the, the conventional medical model gives you a pharmaceutical that typically masks the symptoms. And if that condition is chronic and not going away, we don't address the underlying root cause, you can see a lot of issues that arise from taking a powerful pharmaceutical for a lot of these conditions every single day for many years, if not decades, and right. not addressing that underlying root cause. So my dad saw this, we saw it firsthand, specifically in the opioid epidemic, right, in the 90s, like hmm. people in our local community coming in, refilling prescriptions, and we're seeing them get sicker month after month. We're not helping them. And so my dad closed down the pharmacy and opened up the nation's first combined functional medicine practice with compounding pharmacy. And I'll explain what each of those are because they're both unique in their own right. But when combined now, I'll tell you the reason why I'm in the family business because it's absolutely amazing and I think it's the future. But functional medicine is the whole study of understanding the root cause, looking at your genetics, your gut microbiome, your lifestyle, maybe most importantly, what you eat, how you sleep, your mental health, your relationships, and figuring out what in there is causing the chronic disease. An analogy is if you have foot pain and you go the conventional route, you might get a pain reliever for that foot pain. The functional medicine route might uncover that you have a rock in your shoe. Now it's never that simple, but the analogy is, oh yeah, if there's a rock in your shoe and you just take a pain reliever, you're always gonna have to take the pain reliever. We should really be looking at both. We need to relieve the pain, allow people to get back to their daily lives. But if we don't uncover what the root cause is, we're gonna be trapped in the rat race for a long time, maybe forever. And then the second piece of the puzzle was the compounding pharmacy. Imagine what pharmacy looked like 100 years ago, right? It wasn't what it is today, which is counting pills and then telling patients how to take them and what the potential side effects are. It was really making drugs at the site for individual people. And this meant you could customize the dosage, customize the delivery, customize the ingredients, that could potentially give it synergistic effects and allow it to work better. And so by combining those two practices, my dad learned that he was able to really help people on another level. You can address the underlying root cause, sometimes with pharmaceuticals, sometimes without them, oftentimes with a combination. And then he would be able to manufacture right in the lab exactly what that patient needed down to the exact milligram of dose of each prescription or non-prescription. Now you have to work with a doctor. It's not like he's able to work with a patient and all of a sudden go concoct this crazy drug in the back, right? You right. have to work with a doctor. But the reason I tell that story is because I saw a massive shift in my dad's ability to help people. And really what I saw is the future of health and wellness. Now I was a mechanical engineer really far away from it, but I grew up in this. I grew up in my grandpa's pharmacy, my dad's pharmacy. So I always had a passion. And one day I'm at dinner and my dad and brother are sharing a story about an all natural pain reliever that they had put together for a specific group of patients that they were having no success with, with the pharmaceuticals. They really began specializing in topical pain relief because they found that it would significantly reduce the side effects. So when you could deliver a drug through the skin right to the site, like in chronic pain, say you have chronic elbow pain, you don't have to take a pill, which 
exposes the entire body to the potent medicine. You could deliver that same potent medicine right through the skin to affect the site. Maybe it's anti-inflammatory or pain relieving properties or improving the blood flow. And so they had a demographic of patients they were having no success with. And so they put together this topical all natural product. They gave out some samples. And my dad shared a story about one of the, the patients who had spent thousands of dollars on the pharmaceutical side she called back in tears when she found out they had no more of this prototype because it was the first thing in her entire life that had worked for her chronic pain. Wow. And so it was anecdotal. This didn't mean that the product worked. It didn't mean anything. But when I heard that you could make that kind of an impact on a single individual's life, I'm like, dad, we have to create a brand around this. And mm. so that was the day the Feel Good Lab was born. I remember the early days when you have so much excitement and passion behind what you're doing. And it was really out of that single story of knowing that we could make this huge, huge impact. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, one, one thing that keeps coming to mind um, is that, okay, you grew up in it. Uh, you obviously were working with your dad for, for years and then going away. I wonder if that distance and removing yourself from being directly involved actually gave you the space to say, hey, wait a minute, this is actually a big deal. Whereas somebody that's in it all the time may just you know, think, this is just what we do. Do you think there's anything to do with that? I think there's even, I think that's exactly correct. But I think there's one thing on top of that. And I actually, I mentor some entrepreneurial students at the University of Connecticut still, and I always give them advice. There's only one student that was so brilliant, I didn't give this advice to. The best thing that ever happened to me was going into the aerospace industry and learning what I don't want to do because the grass <laughs> is not always greener. Yeah, and by, yeah. by learning what I didn't want to do and then having the opportunity to come back, guess what? I'll never go back. And there's a reason why I've been so motivated and so passionate and so excited about this business, yet I haven't paid myself in five years. And it's yeah. because I'm not going anywhere. I know what it's like where the grass is quote unquote greener. It's just not. And yeah, you can make a lot of money and it was so cool and I could help people, but it wasn't where I was at my best. And I know that today, this is where I'm at my best. So you're exactly right. Having that distance and being on the outside and being in a different industry was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So you mentioned that they started having some success with a couple uh, of their patients or a particular demographic. Were there any commonalities in this demographic? Or uh, I'm also interested in, in what you did once you had this idea, what were the, the first steps after that? Yeah. So the commonalities are that all of these patients sought out my father because nothing worked for many years. And so it was like a last resort. That was the commonality. They've tried everything. Actually, one of the things that I hear from customers every day, I've tried everything. Yeah. And our demographic, this is the scary part about what we do. And chronic pain is not killing people the same way that heart disease and all these other things are. But when you hear this statistic, you realize it actually is killing people, unfortunately. 100 million adults in the United States have chronic pain. That means pain that has not gone away for six months plus. Most people, up to decades, it's scary. Two thirds of those people, so 66 million adults, don't think that anything will ever work, ever. And I used to be really offended around the placebo effect when people would call out what we do because we are an FDA over-the-counter registered drug to make claims and we can get into some of that and actually it'll be part of the answer to the next question you just had. But 
The placebo effect I've since learned is one of the most repeatable tools in all of science. Almost every clinical study that's ever existed has a placebo component to it. And I believe that there's a, a piece of us that whether you believe you can or you can't, oftentimes you're right. <laughs> that the mind, and it, it, it holds you back subconsciously or it allows you to have the opportunity for that growth in those areas. When you look at that, right, when two thirds of our customers are saying nothing's ever gonna work and they've got their arm crossed and huh, they're angry and I don't blame them one bit because nothing has worked and they feel hopeless. Our number one job as a company is to give them hope, whether or not our product works for them. And, and we have multiple products now and not everything is gonna work for every person. So we right. know that it's not just one thing. It's one of the biggest lessons I've learned from my dad's practice. We have an incredible natural pain cream. We have some other products that I can explain in a little bit that we've launched on the back of what he's learned in his pharmacy. But that's not all going to work for everybody. There is still hope, even though our products may not work. We've seen it. And that's the biggest, most important thing that we need to deliver to this demographic. I see a future one day where the Feel Good Lab maybe isn't really even a product company. Maybe we are more of a a media company that's helping to educate people and give them hope and teach them about ways that they can continue to fight to make sure that they don't just give in because once they give in, that's where it gets really scary, right? When they believe that nothing's ever gonna work and they wake up every day with this chronic pain and their mental, their mindset is in this really dark place. And that's where I talk to patients every single day. Unfortunately, that is where this demographic is right now. And so it's our job to really help them. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's understandable. Like you said, if somebody's tried everything and they've been dealing with this for decades, you can understand why they would be skeptical of any new product. Yeah. And something that impresses me in our conversation so far today, you brought up customers and the sort of the mind of the customer, the emotions of the customer, um, where they are right in, in their lives um, many, many times. And it just convinces me that you really are, you know, committed to these customers and um, really just not about, okay, well, selling your product to them, but about their lives and about their success and even things like the hope that they have that they can have a better life. Where do you think that comes from? You did mention that you have an interest in people and love for people. Where, where do you think this sort of curiosity and, and just, you know, caring about the, this customer, where, where does that come from? My mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my dad has a lot of it too, but I, it's funny because you grow up and you get mad at your parents and all this stuff. And now I look back and I'm the most blessed human being ever because I look at both of my parents and I'm kind of this, this combination of the two of them. My dad is the businessman and he's a little more stoic. And my mom has never met somebody she doesn't love and want to help ever. And so I'm just blessed from that standpoint. And I think that was the perfect storm that created me and gave me this purpose to really take on um, the responsibility and create the Feel Good Lab. Because let me tell you, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And we'll talk about it because I still have to answer your last question about what the next steps were. But if I knew how hard this would be, I never would have <laughs> done it. I'm so thankful that I did. But like we compete in one of the hardest categories in the world for reasons I just told you but in the most competitive categories in the world. Pain relief is like, it's pretty much as competitive as it gets. And most of the companies we compete against have very deep pockets, yeah. if not billions, right? Some of them are the biggest companies in the whole world. 
<laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I just think that some of this stuff you can't learn and not that everybody like there's a downside to it like one of my mentors is telling me how much i need to get better at it selling because i just want to help people and so i'll be on a sales call and i'll end up giving them free product because i feel so bad there's a balance like i'm running a business i have investors i can't i need to get a little bit better at that side and so i'm not saying oh i'm blessed i'm better than other people because i care no everybody cares about certain things at a certain level I think what's really important is that you find what your superpower is. And instead of trying to hold it back, you try to build attributes around it that make it stronger. So for me, I always am going to care. Now I'm just trying to build that more business minded salesmanship and figuring out how to combine them to make me better at this. Right. 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 And then ultimately, as you continue to scale, to surround yourself with people that that mm -hmm. sort of supplement some of the areas maybe you're not the strongest in so that Absolutely. you can continue to just do your superpower yep. so that you can totally just maximize that. Yeah. Just one more follow up on that. OK, so you mentioned, OK, some of the downsides of being this way. But business wise, what are some of the upsides? What, what do you think it helps you to do? And I'd imagine, first of all, I imagine it makes you a better salesperson, actually. Definitely. Um, and that people feel your commitment. They feel your sincerity. One of the things like this morning, I had a customer call in all angry and she, and she, cause she ordered a subscribe and save on Amazon and she didn't want it anymore. And, and we deal with a lot of older demographic. And so first of mm -hmm. all, it had nothing to do with me cause she ordered on Amazon. So I helped walk her through. But what's so funny is sometimes you get those negative kind of calls and the ability to, to diffuse them is like one of my superpowers. And, and I love it because at first, I'd get really anxious about these negative, negative calls and whatnot, and I'm just there to help them. And once they realize, oh, I'm a human just like them and I really care, it totally diffuses the situation. And oftentimes, I had one woman the other day, she was trying to cancel and she decided not to after our conversation. Yeah, and yeah. so I, I think it really helps. But the ultimate skill that I think it gives me is the perseverance. Uh, I listened to your podcast with my great friend Juan from Waku in mm -hmm. preparation for this. And he talks a lot about similar things, leading with the customer, understanding the customer and all these things. And it's just that perseverance and the caring and starting with the customer first. It's a main reason that I'm not going anywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. I always think of the story of, of, of Steve Jobs. And one of the things about Steve Jobs that that I think um, manifests itself in, in a bunch of different ways is that he really did care about the, the problems that he was solving. This was not just a, like just trying to sell something. This was like a crusade for him. This was a mission to bring computing to the world, to make this stuff easier and more accessible to more people. And I, I just uh, can always admire that type of passion. And, and I think it does help you um, persevere through the hard parts. I think it helps you to actually come up with a better product because you're paying attention, you're listening, you actually care. You said something really important there, if you don't mind if I add. Yeah, yeah. That, that it's caring about the problem, mm -hmm. not the solution. So I got a funny little story. So when I was in engineering school, UConn launched this new program. It was called the Entrepreneurship Senior Design. They took engineers. They had us take four MBA classes. And then we would basically try to, instead of creating a senior design project where you're, say, working on a new blade design for a helicopter with Sikorsky and doing flow analysis all year, you basically got to take a technology and try to commercialize it. So we went into this with this mindset of an engineer. And I'll never forget the teacher, Rich Dino, who's been a mentor of mine for the past decade. He's on the first day of class, he had all these engineers in there and he was poking fun at us about 
We just want to create these incredible mechanical solutions, almost like these crazy ideas we have. He goes, you need to understand that if you don't really get the problem and the, what the consumer is thinking, you're never going to create the right solution. Mm-hmm. And you need to start from the problem. And so with our business, we had this solution that was presented to myself in our natural pain cream when my dad explained this you know what was going on but if you look at where we are today as a business we have a whole suite of products because we're really all about solving the problem we're not committed to our products we're committed to solving the problem and it's very important because if you're just committed to your product you're going to go you're going to get taken by the market real quick as things change and develop yeah no, that's a good point. There's a guy named Ash Moira that he's like an entrepreneur's coach. And, and he always talks about that. Love the problem, not the solution. And I think that you also touched on this a little bit earlier when saying you could envision a day when the Feel Good Lab doesn't just sell products, right? Like you're some sort of media company that teaches people and helps them to be able to overcome some of these problems. And I think that's just more double clicking on that same point. Really, it, it started with, okay, we've got this incredible formula how do we protect it and bring it out to the market? And so we immediately filed a patent, and which we've since been granted. And we also went and looked at how we would basically get our formula FDA approved so that we could market it and sell it on the same aisle as Icy Hot and BioFreeze and Aspercream and all these other topical products that are sold in the pharmacies. What we learned is We didn't actually have to get it FDA approved, which takes years and years and millions of dollars in clinical trials. What we actually had to do was get it FDA registered. It's still a process. It costs money. It takes time, but it doesn't require the double blind placebo controlled studies. What it requires is looking at your ingredients profile and making sure it's safe and efficacious based on the ingredients that have been studied for many, many years. And so there's an FDA monograph that we're able to use that allows us to make claims around arthritis pain, back pain, muscle and joint pain, sprains, strains, and bruises. And we can make those claims in our marketing, which is huge because there's many products, especially in the CBD space. Now, a lot of them are making these claims and they're going to be in for a world of hurt when the FDA starts cracking down on it because CBD is not approved to make these claims. But we're legally, through the FDA, allowed to have a drug fax on our packaging and talk about the benefits for specific ailments like arthritis and back pain. And so those were two really critical steps. Probably the most important one, though, including those, is finding a manufacturer and figuring out how to safely make the product, getting the shelf life, building out the supply chain, all of those little pieces. And that's where I really looked at my experience in the aerospace world because as a consultant, I really got heavily involved in all aspects of the supply chain from sourcing the material to the lead time for running it through the shop to selling it, all those sort of pieces. So I went to work immediately and and built out the supply chain and the packaging and the tubes and the design and, and all the pieces that went into it. And it was probably a good six month journey from ideation to finding the manufacturer. One of the stories that we tell is the formula we created in our lab was not the exact same formula that the manufacturers were able to put together that had the shelf life and and the FDA efficacy. It was just as clean, which meant it didn't have a lot of these really bad ingredients that we were removing from the aisle, but it had to be slightly different in the way it was put together than what we were able to do just right in our lab. 
So we had to then take in those prototypes and retest them because never did we think we were actually really scared for that two months. Like, oh no, we uh, can't make the product that we developed. Now, it wasn't that different. It was probably about 10% different, right? But it right. was different enough that we felt, okay, let's make sure, let's get in the prototypes. Let's make sure we retest them with the same demographic. Also, we had an, uh, some extra, so we got a, like a, a bigger test, probably got it to about 100 people. And what was crazy is it actually, we've, we, we believe it actually worked better than the original mm -hmm. we came out with. Again, anecdotal, it was only about 100 pieces of feedback, but we, we believe that it came out even more efficacious. And like I said, in our category, that was the most important thing because once we got product in hand, product market fit, how do we start selling and get real customer feedback and see if this is working? And the greatest opportunity, I believe, for consumer packaged goods for product market fit is Amazon.com. It's much more competitive now than it was six years ago when we launched on it. But man, are you able to get a lot of sales and a lot of reviews fast? And that was really helpful for us. And that's when we realized, oh my goodness, we definitely have something that works here. So I want to double click on just a couple of those of those points. So one of the, the, the things that you see a lot of people struggle with is, you know, this whole process of building out your supply chain, finding a good manufacturer, formulating the product. It seems like the formulation part, you you had a huge advantage in because you had your dad and, and his experience to lean on. But just, just talk a little bit about that process of building out your supply chain and maybe uh, give us just a, a couple tips or just any pieces of advice about other entrepreneurs that may be in that process or thinking about that. What are some things that, that you learned while doing that? Yeah, and I'll give it through the lens of like six years ago, it was a lot different than it is today, right? COVID, China, et cetera. So right. what I did six years ago when we kicked this off was Alibaba was huge. We did our box manufacturing there. We did our tube manufacturing there. So basically, I immediately went on Alibaba. I found tube and box manufacturers, and I just started quoting them. And I got as many quotes as I could, and I set up as many follow-ups as I could, and I would com have them compete against each other. I would send one set of pricing. I'd block out their name. I'd send it to the other ones. And then if somebody came in lower, I'd send it to all the rest of them and really try to drive down the price. And then I would get next step from there was getting samples sent in and then getting those samples to my manufacturer because I had to make sure that I had certain requirements from a quality standpoint, tube diameter, certain things that had to fit as well as the, the plastic makeup, making sure it was safe for the menthol to go in there, which is in our product at a very low amount, but menthol can react with different plastics. So there was a whole bit of quality that went into it as well. It really got to lean on my engineering specifically in the box manufacturing, we came up with some pretty savvy box designs, which were a little overkill, but we've always been really keen on customer experience. <laughs> so, you know, that, and that's one of the things I love. It's one of my passions is customer user experience. So those were the first steps. And then we placed our first big PO and we got stuff shipped. I, I shipped most of it from for air because we didn't want to wait the two months to ship it via sea. But now anything we do internationally will we'll ship via sea. Although with the container prices where they are, we're trying to move away from international. And so mm -hmm. now when I put that lens back into post-COVID, 
We've actually moved our tube manufacturing here to the United States. We've moved our packaging manufacturing to the United States and Mexico. We have a, a co-manufacturer that has plants in both. So they do some in US, some in Mexico, right over the border. But we don't have that crazy container shipment issue now anymore. And then with the tube manufacturing, we're also going a little more eco-friendly. So we're able to find a manufacturer that uses a process of recycled plastic as well as bioplastic. So it's grown it's grown versus petroleum-based. And so it allows us to just be a little bit more eco-conscious as well as manufacture everything in the United States. But our manufacturer has always been US-based because we're a pharmaceutical. Technically, we're registered with the FDA. We have certain quality requirements. So we always did do our manufacturing here in the States, but we've now, we now source pretty much everything from North America. Interesting. Interesting. So a couple of things from the way you described it, I think that your experience in the supply chain for the aerospace industry definitely came in. Came in. And, and one thing is just in, in your attitude in taking these quotes, comparing them, trying to really drive down your costs. And, and the attitude that I'm leaning on is that a lot of first-time entrepreneurs who are getting their first product out the door, a lot of them go in with the attitude of like, oh, I just hope these guys will actually do this for me. Or almost... Um, apologetic, not realizing that they're actually the ones in control and like they, they drive um, that conversation and they need to know what they want. And then it's okay to negotiate and really try to bring your costs down because that's going to determine the success of your business. So is there anything that you could add to that in terms of, of, you know, how you thought about it as you're actually negotiating with these different clients, what's, or sorry, with your, these different suppliers, what, what's your state of mind at that? And how do you approach it? Yeah, there's three aspects. Number one, relationship building. I always start there. And once you build a relationship, these people become your friends. I still have one of my suppliers from China send me birthday gifts. <laughs> she sent me like this gorgeous tea set last year. And I haven't bought from her in a long time. Building that relationship and making them wanna help you is very critical. Two, getting them to understand the vision and the passion and the excitement really makes them focus a little bit more on it. And then with that comes, you don't wanna lie, but you wanna really lay out what this could look like if it takes off and what the quantities. I'll tell you what, in this type of supply chain, tubes and boxes, quantity talks. Mm -hmm. I find myself now ordering in the, magnitude of like 20 to 50,000 units for a lot of this stuff. One, because it allows us to buy long so that my manufacturer just has to spool up and make the product and fill it. Uh, and so that's a huge piece of our supply chain, but there's costs associated with that. In your first batch, not only are you not gonna wanna run 20,000 units of tubes, you shouldn't. There's quality issues. I'll tell you a few mistakes we made. Mm -hmm. You know. We had our caps, we never told them to screw, to make the design so the cap screwed on straight so that the tip of the cap was facing you. They'd all be screwed on to different angles and it just looked janky. Huh. Uh, little things like that. We had an issue with the printing. We had an issue with the colors over the years. And so when you buy too long, you get stuck with all the inventory, but you wanna dangle that carrot of like, hey guys, we wanna do this first order, but following behind it's gonna be a 20,000 unit order. And that's gonna make them prioritize your business a little bit more and really use that to drive the pricing down. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's interesting and, and realize that also anybody that's that's in this business, in the supply chain, they're used to negotiating. Like, and this is something I learned from negotiating with people overseas, it's expected. It's like part of the, 
the, the, the sort of the dance, right? In, in negotiating, coming up with a price, going back and forth. And, and so I think maybe it's a Western thing where it's like, we're, we're a little bit reluctant to do that. We can maybe feel a little bit bad or something asking for a lower price. You know what I mean? Totally. Not only to your point is, do they expect it? If you don't, I've seen people get gouged and I've probably gotten gouged myself and I just don't know it. We're like, somebody feels like they can take an advantage, take advantage and they quote two, three X high and you end up taking the price and they're just making a killing on you. So it, it works both ways, especially when you're on Alibaba shooting out quotes all over the place and you might find someone that you think is perfect, but unless you're bouncing it and really getting a competitive quote, it's hard to tell. And so you, you need to make sure that you're doing your diligence because you absolutely can get taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you owe it to think about it. You owe it to your customers. If you've got the resources and if you can hold on to some of those resources, I think you can ultimately make a better product and invest more in, in what you talked about before, which is the overall customer experience, because you've actually got the margins in, in your product in order to then be able to provide that. I think you owe it to, to yourself and just the work that you put into your business and that you deserve to make a profit. And then also, I think that you owe it to your investors, whoever invested in you, that you're at least negotiating, you're doing the best you are that you can, and you're being a good steward of, of those funds that you have. Yeah. So. And one little last example, COVID's caused prices to go up. So mm -hmm. we just got a, a couple of quotes back in. Everything's going up. It really hurts. One of the things I'm working on now is, okay, maybe my price is going to go up 20%. But what I'm trying to negotiate with my manufacturer that I spend the most money with is mm -hmm. payment terms. So if I can get better payment terms, if I pay more money, but I get better payment terms, it can actually be really helpful. The right, biggest right. challenge in CPG, and that's why I was when I found your podcast, I was really excited because entrepreneurship is hard to begin with. CPG entrepreneurship, in my opinion, is one of the hardest because it takes cash to scale. Once you get everything ready to go and you start to grow and grow and grow, it takes more and more and more cash because you need more inventory, you need to pay for marketing. There's so many different aspects of it. And so... If we don't get ahead of that, it is a very big challenge. And you start, you basically, for us, I'll give you an example. We pay 50% up front and we used to pay 50% in order to get the product shipped to us. And it's a 12 week lead time. So we have to put out all this cash, product goes into manufacturing, 12 weeks later, you put in another 50%, then you get the product shipped to you and I still gotta go sell it. So I don't get paid on the money that I invest into that product for sometimes up to 12 months. And that's a very hard business to scale when cash is king. So if I can say get now what I have is uh, 60 day payment terms on that last payment and I'm working on getting the first payment to get pushed to the 12 weeks, which is gonna really alleviate the cash and allow me to not have to have all this cash sitting there in order to make my next purchase order, especially as we're hopefully gonna be on QVC in the next few weeks. I'm waiting on a PO that may come in today, knock on wood, and if we do, I need to go and buy $30,000 worth of inventory and I got to go pull the cash together and possibly finance some of it and figure that out because of the way the payment terms are set up right now. So it's not always just about the price you pay. It's also about the payment terms equally yeah. as important. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Good point. I know that we're getting to the end of our time, but I wanted to just double click on one of the, the things. Real quick before this episode starts, I want to ask you, are you still using spreadsheets to manage your inventory, suppliers, co-packers, and production? 
Unless you're a wizard with cells and formulas, you can only grow so much with spreadsheets. When you're selling on your website, in retail stores, in online marketplaces, and more, it gets hard to track your inventory levels. Stockouts become a regular occurrence and fulfilling orders keep you awake at night. Use Fiddle instead. Our software is built to help CPG businesses like yours scale more easily with constant insight into your inventory and production at all levels. Go to fiddle.io to learn more and schedule a personalized demo. That you talked about, which is moving away from international and, and some of the effects COVID and how COVID's maybe motivated that a little bit more. Do you mind just explaining some of your motivations for, for saying that and for trying to do that with your business? Yeah, it's really twofold. The first is COVID was driving a lot of the decisions because you couldn't even get product for a while from China and from other places. But then there's a second piece of like, I started to realize specifically with China, but other places international, sometimes the price was so cheap that it didn't make sense to me. Like cheaper, so cheap that I'm like, how is anybody making any money anywhere? Mm -hmm. And what I realized is there's almost like a monopoly slowly happening, or at least it was. I see it starting to move back the other way, where we aren't making much of anything in the United States. And I felt compelled to help be a part of the solution. And maybe you pay a little bit of a premium, but when you look at the lack of lead time, shipping charges and all this, it actually gets pretty close to break even. Um, and I just felt like it was the right thing to do is to just have a business that's more built here. Like, I just think that it's important that we have manufacturing capabilities here in the United States and that we're self-sufficient. We don't need to be reliant. There's certain things that only can be made in other places or can only be made to a certain quality in other places. Totally get that. But packaging and tubes are not one of them. And there's plenty of amazing manufacturers right here locally that you can work with that when you do the whole business analysis, and some of them are right in my backyard. So now I've got personal relationships with, and you talk about negotiating better terms and things like that. There's no better way to do it than when you actually build a, a physical relationship with some of these people. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, and especially in the early days, you guys are a little past this, but the very early days when you're still iterating so much on your product, just proximity can just be a huge advantage uh, to getting through that, finding product market fit, and just getting to the right product quicker. In fact, that's one aspect that we've seen as we've done more and more of these podcasts and in, in the fiddle business that, that we run is that we talk to a lot of people who've, who are actually manufacturing in-house for that particular reason is if you could do it in-house pretty close to the same cost, there are some huge advantages for in order to be able to just move faster to get to the right product. And that's not always, you know, doable for all businesses, but the proximity, you know, point that you just made, I think is a huge one. Yeah, I look forward to the day where we can do all of our manufacturing house, like maybe not boxes and tubes, but our, mm -hmm. you know, most of the value, most of the cost in our product manufacturing is in the product itself. And um, I'd love to have our own manufacturing plant and because you can control the quality. One little quick example is we are going to get into the CBD space. We're taking it slow. We want it to, we want the bottom to fall out a little bit. There's so much competition and people don't know where to look, but what we did in our first batch of product we made is we grew it ourselves. 
We wanted to really understand the process. So not just the manufacturing, but all the way down to growing the individual ingredient. And I think right. that that's important because one, it can be part of your story. And two, when you can control that detail of the process all the way through, I think that ultimately it makes for a much better product at the end of the day. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I've, I've kept you long enough. I want to start wrapping this up a little bit. Before we, we head over to the quick fire round, just want to ask you about what's coming up for the rest of 2022. What are you excited about? Do you guys have any big plans uh, for the rest of this year? Yeah, we are. We've just launched a whole new suite of products that I'm super excited about. And what we call it is, first of all, everything we do comes from my dad and my brother at the pharmacy and functional medicine practice. So we're not sitting here necessarily looking at market dynamics and saying, oh, this is a, a good way to move. Not, not that that's bad. It's just not how we do it. What we look at is my dad and brother on the front line working with patients in chronic pain every day. And they're not only giving them our natural pain cream. They're looking at every possible way that they can help them and implementing it and getting real feedback. So what we did is we, we looked at what was working and we came up with this tagline. We call it fighting pain with wellness. What it means is taking a proactive approach to pain. You have our great OTC natural pain relievers that are FDA registered. You can make the claims against pain. But on top of that, we launched a line of uh, supplements that can help people to support healthy inflammation response with our curcumin supplement, a really high quality fish oil, which is very important to the body being able to perform its optimal functions, which inevitably go to its ability to recover from chronic injury and chronic pain. We launched a hydration product because we found that a lot of patients, whether they're in pain or not, are not properly hydrating, and then a vitamin D. So those four supplements are now live on our website, and we're basically building out the campaigns to start to get them sold and, and get them worked in. And we're having a lot of success. It's only been a few weeks. But we think that adding more ways that people can like we talked about earlier, right? It's not just about our solution. It's about the problem. So more ways that we can support people on this journey to fighting pain with wellness. And then the last thing that we just launched, this is the thing I'm the most excited about. It's a, we talked about earlier, lifestyle might be the most important root cause of what's causing our chronic disease, specifically chronic pain. And what my dad has found is diet is really leading cause of inflammation in our gut but throughout the rest of our body. So if we can help people improve their diet and reduce the inflammatory burden that the diet's putting on them, we can reduce the inflammation at the site of their arthritis or the site of their knee pain. And so he had a product that he was using for many years that we've partnered with. It's a food inflammation test. So it's an at-home finger prick. You mail it into the lab and within 10 days from them receiving it, we get a, res, uh, a, a spreadsheet back of all of the foods in your individual body that are actually causing inflammation. Hmm. And so what's really special about that is it's different from a food sensitivity test. Food sensitivity tests like a company called Everywell have been really blowing up the past couple of years. One of the challenges with those is you can get a lot of false positives. They only measure the IgG response, which is called immunoglobulin G. I'm not gonna get into all the details, but our test measures that same IgG with a complement protein. So because we have two signals, the efficacy or the accuracy goes up to 95%, means you get less false positives. But more important, when you have the complement protein, it means that there's a 10 to 1,000 fold inflammatory increase in the body. So those 
foods that are causing both the IgG and the complement protein response are really the ones that you want to focus on. And what we found after testing hundreds of people with this test, almost every single person has a healthy food that would be considered healthy, bananas as an example. Not often does bananas show up, but sometimes healthy foods can show up in your individual body can that are causing inflammation for you. And if you can reduce that inflammatory burden by cutting that food out, you can make a huge impact on your overall health and your ability to fight pain. Uh, and so the product that you guys are launching is that test and the ability for, for customers to be able to buy that test from you and, and actually find, find out what's uh, causing the inflammation. Exactly. Yep. So we've got the line of supplements now, mm -hmm. uh, as well as the food inflammation tests. And something I'm working on right now is, is a quiz build out on the website to allow people to go through and understand which products would kind of get bundled together to best serve them based on what conditions they're dealing with and where they are in their life. Yeah. Anecdotally, I, I definitely believe in, in, in that food inflammation idea and just in that I experience it all the time. I'm usually low carb, but uh, we just had Easter and I allowed myself to indulge a little bit. And it's as soon as I start eating more sugar, it's like uh, all of my old soccer injuries and soccer pains from like my hips and my knees, they just start hurting again. And it's just something that, that I've just noticed over the years that if I can keep lower carb, I generally have less joint pain. I totally relate to that. I have the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into the quick fire round and then we'll wrap this up. So, so Ryan, what's one tool or resource that has helped you the most in your current uh, position? Um, probably my business coach who's like, he, he acts as more than a business coach, but it's just a place, a safe place to go to really get things off my chest and talk about things. So important. It's a lonely journey. It really is. And having people that you can trust, that you can rely on to to just be able to talk about things is so important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What is one one book that you could recommend to the audience? James Clear, Atomic Habits is awesome. It's awesome for making changes in your own life, but even more important for us is we're trying to help our customers improve their daily wellness habits. So I've taken a lot of learnings from that book and trying to implement them into the way we talk to our customers and the way we help guide them on how they can improve their overall wellness. Okay. And what's uh, one piece of advice that you'd give to your 21-year-old uh, self? Oh, 21-year-old self. Don't worry. And, and fail fast. One of my big challenges is I really hate failure and it holds me back from trying things. And I think that is the worst skill you can have as an entrepreneur. To me, the ultimate entrepreneurs are people that dive right in, they're willing to fail and look silly, and then they learn that lesson quickly and they pivot and move. And, and I am getting better at it, but it's something I, I still need to work on. And who's one piece, of, one person um, in your field of work? Maybe it's another entrepreneur or another product that you uh, brand that you watch that you'd love to take to lunch, like oh, um, maybe another founder. <laughs> there Naval you go. Ravikant. I just listen to his podcast, and every single sentence gets downloaded, and I find myself repeating it. I, I literally repeat ten quotes from him daily, and he just. He really inspires me and I love it because he says things so eloquently with less words. There's this famous quote by Mark Twain. I'm sorry that this letter is so long. I didn't have enough time. 
And Naval's got a beautiful way of summarizing these crazy complex ideas into one sentence that just might drop on you, right? Yeah, and it's a huge skill, right? Yeah, uh, he's awesome. Okay, well, that's great. Any parting words for other entrepreneurs that, that are out there that are in the grind right now, trying to get their physical product off the ground or trying to get more distribution or just any uh, words that, that you could leave them with? I would say keep going. Once you get over the, the fear of failure, it becomes so much more fun. And the bumps in the road come with the territory. It's what we signed up for. And so I almost look forward to them now. And I just think having a, a good support system is really helpful. I'm happy to talk with anybody. If you have questions, if you're dealing with something, not that I'm an expert in it, but, but I'm happy to be here and, and bounce ideas off of. So if you want to reach out to me personally, my email is Ryan at thefeelgoodlab.com and I'd be happy to talk with you. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Ryan. We look forward to talking to you more and congratulations on all the success. Thanks so much, Ken. All right, see ya. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations visit fiddle.io and then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening. Hey everyone, my name is Taylor Howe and I'm the marketing manager here at Fiddle. I want to jump on real quick to tell you about an incredible free resource that we put together for CPG brands. It's called Fiddle Connect. It's a curated database of over 3,000 co-packers and suppliers. You'll get websites, phone numbers, locations, categories, and more, all in one place. It's a must-have for any CPG brand, especially in the food, beverage, or nutraceutical space. And again, it's 100% free. To get immediate access, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect. We are constantly updating the database and we promise you're going to love it. It'll save you time and headaches by helping you get to suppliers and co-packers faster than ever. So again, just go to fiddle.io forward slash connect to get free access today.